Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, November 24th, and this is your FT News Briefing. A win for the far right in the Netherlands piles pressure on the EU. UK migration levels reach a record high. Plus, Carlsberg's Russian staff are arrested. Companies I've spoke to are terrified to put a foot wrong. They're trying to keep a low profile. So it's a pretty risky position. I'm Persis Love, in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. It's a victory for Europe's far right this week, as Dutch anti-immigration leader Geert Wilders won the most votes in his country's general election. Wilders' Freedom Party is just one in a wave of nationalist parties to have risen to prominence in the EU in recent years. But Wilders will have to form a coalition with other parties before he can assume power. And that might not be so easy. Here to tell me more is the FT's European comment editor, Tony Barber. Hi, Tony. Hello there. So tell us about Geert Wilders. What would his leadership look like for the Netherlands? Well, the first thing to keep in mind, of course, is that it's not clear that he ever will become prime minister or or even a, a minister in the next Dutch government. But should that happen, an awful lot of questions remain without answers. He has never served in government in his entire career. He's 60 years old. He hasn't taken part in the sort of give and take of coalition negotiations and hammering out of policies with people that you don't necessarily share the same views with, which is the hallmark of Dutch politics. All Dutch governments are coalitions. He's never had anything to do with them. So should he enter government, it will be a test of whether he's really prepared to make those kind of compromises. He's good at making rabble-rousing speeches and uh, whipping up uh, a public mood outside Parliament, but doing the hard grind of government business is an altogether another matter. One thing that he has said since the election result is that he understands the need to honour the uh, constitutional principles of, of the Dutch state, of Dutch democracy. That was a kind of signal that uh, he he was not going to be intransigent uh, as he opens talks with other parties about how the Netherlands is going to move forward. So Wilders has won the most votes, but as you said, he still has to form a coalition to make it into government. How likely is that to happen? Well, before the election, most of the uh, traditional, uh, more moderate parties were sending uh, the signal that they didn't want to have anything to do with him, let alone with him as prime minister. Since the result, there have been just a couple of signs that one or two parties might say, well, you know, this is the way things have turned out and we have to be realists and the government has to be formed one way or the other. It isn't, I think, completely inconceivable that there, there could be some coalition agreement hammered out between him and a few other parties. It all depends what sort of compromises he's prepared to make. He would have to make some. I mean, any coalition uh, is going to need something like four parties in it. So he couldn't have his own way on everything. It won't be easy. I wouldn't expect a government to be formed for some months. And tell me a bit about his politics. What sort of things does he stand for? Well, the thing that's made his name 
since he formed his party in 2006 is a very, very hostile approach to uh, the place of Islam and, and Muslims in Dutch life. And the Netherlands has quite a substantial Muslim minority, not just of citizens descending from former Dutch colonies around the world, but also from places with no particular connection to Dutch history, such as Turkey. And he's been one of the most intransigent uh, far-right European politicians on this subject that you could name. He's also taken uh, a rather aggressive, critical stance towards the European Union, although he's played that down a bit in recent years. So the European elections are actually coming up next year. What does Wilders win mean for the EU as a whole? Well, there are a number of challenges. First one one could think of uh, is the question of migration and asylum policies, one that's close to Wilders' heart. Any sort of progress on migration and asylum is going to be extremely hard. A second issue is uh, EU support for Ukraine. Wilders, although he did condemn the Russian invasion in 2022, Before that, his party was fairly sympathetic towards Russia. And since the invasion, he's said, well, I don't see why we Dutch should be supplying weapons or aid to Ukraine. It's none of our business. And then a third thing is that the EU has revived its plans to expand its membership into areas of Eastern and Southeastern Europe, including Ukraine. For that to happen, there would need to be very considerable financial and institutional reforms inside the EU as it is, I think with a Dutch government shaped by Wilders in one way or another, it's going to be very difficult indeed. Tony Barber is the FT's European Common Editor. Thanks for joining me, Tony. Thank you. Brexit was meant to drive down immigration to the UK, but new figures show that net migration hit a record high last year, leading to the fastest population growth since the 1960s. Big increases in immigration came from non-EU nationals moving to the country for work and study, post-Brexit. That trend may have already started to fall, yet the issue remains politically contentious. It's caused alarm within the ruling Conservative Party and they're under pressure to cut the numbers. Danish brewer Carlsberg has been in a battle with Russia over brand licenses after its Russian brewery was seized this summer. The story is emblematic of the struggles of Western-owned businesses in Russia since the invasion of Ukraine last year. And now, several of Carlsberg's former employees in Russia have been arrested by the authorities. Madeleine Speed has been covering the story, and she joins me now. Hi, Madeleine. Hi there. So... Can you just briefly bring us up to date with Carlsberg and its recent troubles with the Russian authorities? So Carlsberg owned this Russian brewery called Baltica Breweries. This summer, it was seized by a presidential decree and placed under temporary management. So Carlsberg completely lost control of their Russia business. What is the status of the Baltica Brewery now? Who's in charge? So in July, the Kremlin put this executive in charge who was the director of the brewery back in the 1990s. So he basically returned to take over the brewery again. In the meantime, the CEO that had been in charge when Carlsberg was still in control, he was still around. We found out through our reporting that he'd stepped down. And then we learned last week that he, alongside another senior executive at the company, had been arrested. 
Tell me a bit more about these arrests. So the former chief executive, Denis Shostanikov, he was arrested alongside Anton Rogachevsky, who was the company's legal vice president. And basically they're accused of stealing Baltica's intellectual property by securing the rights for Carlsberg to export Baltica's Russian brands to other countries in the region, which is a kind of outlandish claim because these were Carlsberg's brand. Carlsberg owned Baltica, it was their subsidiary. So Carlsberg has said that these are completely fake and false allegations and that these executives did nothing wrong. So how does the arrest play into this battle over Carlsberg's assets in Russia? This is significant that it kind of hinges on the brand licenses because there was already a bit of a legal battle brewing over the rights to Carlsberg international brands. So after Baltica Breweries was seized, Carlsberg retaliated by blocking their ability to sell the Carlsberg international brands, brands like Cronenberg and Tuborg. But without the ability to sell those brands, Baltica has got a real hole in their revenue stream. And how much are the international brands worth to Russia? They're worth a lot. They're up to roughly 40% of Baltica Brewery's revenues. And so when you look at them in the context of the arrests and what they're trying to pin on these two executives, this looks like a further escalation of this sort of battle over the brand licenses. And how much of a blow to Carlsberg does the loss of its Russian business represent? Carlsberg wrote off the entire value of the Russian business at the same time as they terminated the license agreement, so the ability for Baltica to sell the international brands, so basically cutting off all ties with Russia. Baltica breweries made up about 9% of their revenues, so it was a big chunk and it was a loss, but they've put it behind them. But Carlsberg's slightly in limbo now because they still have title to the shares of Baltica breweries. They just don't have any control because Russia's frozen those shares. What kind of message does this send to other Western companies who've tried to exit Russia without losing their assets? There's a lot of speculation that the seizures of Carlsberg and also of Danone, the French food company that was seized at the same time back in July, that this was meant to be sort of a deterrent to other Western companies who are trying to leave. So a theory that Russia is trying to keep these Western companies and their revenues, you know, these companies paying taxes inside Russia. But for those who've stayed, this is obviously a big warning shot, right? Because now they're all terrified that they're going to be seized. Companies I've spoke to are terrified to put a foot wrong. They're trying to keep a low profile. So it's a pretty risky position. Madeline Speed is the FT's consumer industries reporter. Thanks, Madeline. Thanks very much. You can read more on all these stories at ft.com for free when you click on the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing this week was produced by Kasia Brusalian, Sonia Hudson, Fiona Simon, Mark Filipino, Josh Gabbard-Doyon, and me, Persis Love. Our engineers were Monica Lopez and Odin Ingebergson. We had help this week from Safia Ahmed, Joanna Cow, Sam Giovinco, David De Silva, Michael Lello, Peter Barber, Gavin Coleman, and Tom Stokes. Our executive producers this week were Manuela Saragosa and Tofa Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio, and our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. 
If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.